Get ready to jumpstart your scientific career with practical advice on being a successful and contented scientist. Each episode of the Happy Scientist podcast delivers hands-on, actionable steps you can take to ensure you stay happy, focused, and satisfied in the lab. Available on all popular podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button and start your journey towards a more fulfilling scientific career. the Happy Scientist Podcast. Each episode is designed to make you more focused, more productive, and more satisfied in the lab. You can find us online at bitesizebio.com slash happy scientist. Your hosts are Kenneth Vogt, founder of the executive coaching firm Vera Claritas, and Dr. Nick Oswald, PhD, bioscientist, and founder of Bitesize Bio. Hello and welcome to the Happy Scientist podcast from Bite Size Bio. If you want to become a happier, healthier and more productive scientist, you are in the right place. I'm Nick Oswald, the founder of BitesizeBio.com, where we provide bioscience researchers with help for improving their technical skills, their soft skills and their well-being. And in this podcast, we will be focusing on the latter of these three areas. With me, actually the driving force of this podcast, it's Kenneth Folk. I have worked with Ken now for over seven years with him as my business mentor and colleague, and I knew that his expertise could help a lot of scientists, which is why we started this podcast. In these sessions, we'll hear mostly from Ken on principles that will help shape you for a happier and more successful career. And along the way, I'll pitch in with points from my personal experience as a scientist and from working with Ken. Today, we will be talking about the art of going slow. In episodes one to nine of this podcast, we talked about the foundational principles of human needs, core mindsets, and charisma factors, which we'll be referring to in this and all future episodes. So if you find this episode useful, please go back and listen to episodes one to nine to get an understanding of these life-changing concepts. So let's bring in the man himself. Kenneth, how are you today? Doing great. How are you, Nick? So I want to I want to give a little shout out to Nick here about this topic. I, I've got a fire hose of topics that I want to cover in the podcast, but this is one that Nick brought up: the art of going slow. And if you only knew, <laughs> uh, Nick is a guy who just is naturally running with his hair on fire. So when he said, "I want to talk about the art of going slow," I I definitely knew we needed to talk. So. Seeing as Nick is so used to going 100 miles an hour all the time, I just was really intrigued when he said, well, we need to talk about this topic, the art of going slow. And I thought, well, since it's important to him, it's going to be important to everybody else too. And there, there's really, uh, it might be a, a thing where you're thinking about go slow. Why, why would I want to do that? <laughs> uh, but there's actually a number of good reasons why you should slow down a bit. And we're not saying that you should drag your feet or you should goof off or you shouldn't accomplish much. That's not the point. But it's about watching the pace that you're moving at so that, that you're actually operating in your optimum. So if you can actually get control of the speed of, what, of how things are happening around you, there's a number of things that will happen for you. One of the first things is you'll get more clarity. 
I'm, I'm sure you've all been in a situation where you were moving so fast, you didn't realize you were going down a dead end road. You know, we, we've all had this happen to us. And, and you don't get to where you want to go if you don't have a, a moment to stop and think about, wait a minute, where am I going? Uh, what, what's happening here? And if you get caught in a, in a process where you're confusing activity with accomplishment, well, it can be very frustrating because you can expend a lot of energy, spend a lot of time, put in a huge amount of effort and get little or nothing for it. So uh, I, I, will, I will poke Nick here right now and say, what do you think about this idea of getting more clarity by going slow? Yeah, I, I, I mean, the way that I look at it is that when you think you're going quickly and when you think you're progressing quickly, it's kind of an illusion because really what you're doing is you're just creating a lot of noise for yourself. Um, and and you're, it's, it's almost like a semi-panic when you, well, that's the way I experience it, is when I feel like I'm really pushing hard when I'm pushing to try and get things done or, uh, or to get somewhere, then that creates a semi-panic and which is easily confused with um, striving to make process. And when you slow down, you actually become much clearer and then more effective. And one, I like metaphors, <laughs> one <laughs> metaphor that, that really hammered home to me and I realized that while it was happening that this is what it was, was I'm a terrible swimmer. If I start, if I go in swimming, it's like I'm trying not to drown all of the time. <laughs> it's like I sprint when I swim and, and get really tired quickly and it just generates its own kind of panic. And I just thought that, okay, that's just me. I'm just, just not a very good swimmer. Um, and then, well, my daughter's daughter is uh, 15 now. When, it must have been when she was about eight. When she could swim alongside me for the, for the kind of first few times that she swam alongside me. And she was swimming slower than me. And so I slowed down to swim with her. And suddenly swimming became easy and actually enjoyable. And I was shocked that I thought my, the way that I was swimming was how what I had to do to stay afloat and what I had to do to, to um, that was just the way that I swam in it. When I slowed down, suddenly it became much easier. And I, then in that moment, I realized that that is what I kind of do day to day. And I'm not saying that I've nailed it. I still have a tendency to try and do things too quickly or to, or to, um, to create speed in the way that, um, in, uh, to create, to, to create, fast forward momentum, I, but I always just have to keep trying to pull myself back to this, just slow down. Sure. And, and sometimes, it, sometimes you don't realize that you're spinning your wheels in the moment because you're going so fast, but there's another side of this too. Sometimes you're using that, that hyperactivity to make yourself feel better uh, that you're you're telling yourself that you're accomplishing something even though you know you're not you're you're saying look see how hard i'm working instead of instead of recognizing you know i know that what i'm doing right now isn't really getting me anywhere it isn't really moving the project forward it isn't helping my career it you know it, it's it's just creating busy work and so you know you got to see that you see whole com companies and groups and things with that culture where it's all, um, it's, it's almost like a competition 
to show that you're the one that is that is trying the hardest, that is putting the most panicked energy into um, to, to your work, if you like. It's, panicked energy is the way that I think about that kind of kind of you know that that kind of forceful drive. Mm-hmm. And we're really what you want to be doing is just doing things that are that will benefit without killing yourself. Really, sure. and it makes me think of um, what is that guy's name? Ken Mark Joyner is that his name? Oh yeah. And he talks about, um, he runs a company called, um, amongst other things, he has a, a website called Simpleology. It's a kind of to-do list thing, but it's, it's really good. Um, but he talks about prioritizing tasks that are high, as he calls them, H-I-M-E, high impact, minimum effort. And that's almost anthema in, in the modern workplace, isn't it? To, to minimum effort. And But what he's talking about is to, is to get the most the most benefit from the energy you put in. And so sure. then that then that informs what tasks you prioritize. I'm glad I'm reminding myself of this. <laughs> is that, <laughs> is that you, um, uh, you know, instead of, you know, ticking off a, a hundred small tasks that make you feel busy but didn't really benefit anyone, you make sure you put in that um, at the top of your list, those things that are easy to do but will make some efforts and make some progress in the project or, or whatever it is that you're doing. And then those get done and that at least keeps things moving forward and with remarkably little effort. Sure. So I, I, I wanna cover a little bit more about why you should slow down. Uh, and we're definitely gonna hit on a lot of, of, here's some things you can do to make this work for you. But I wanna sell you on the concept first because I, I suspect a lot of you are sitting there going, yeah, go slow. That doesn't sound like a great idea. Uh, I, I move fast anyway. I'm, I'm just naturally active and I can, I, can, I can deal with it. I can hack it. But I want to point something out to you, and you probably know people like this. There are plenty of folks out there that are going hard. They're going too hard. And to, to put it crassly, you can't hustle when you're dead. There, there is a limit. There's only so much that that you can do before you start breaking things and you start breaking down. And, and we're talking about going slow here, not just uh, in the lab or just on your project or just at your company, but I'm talking about your whole, the whole of your existence. There's there's only 24 hours every day, and and the stuff that you don't do. That time you're never getting it back. It's it's never going to happen again. So th- there's really no excuse to just blow through days and where you've done nothing to take care of yourself, nothing to take care of your career. You know, no time to cook a healthy meal, no time to to get a little exercise in, or to meditate, or to do some journaling, or do something something supportive of yourself so that you can stay strong and able and and ready to face the next day with vigor. So it, it's not that you have to go slow all the time, but you do need to go slow every day. You need to spend a little time at it every day where you just go, okay, off the hamster wheel for a minute, take a breath <laughs> and, and feel a different experience and remember that the whole world doesn't look like this in this death march of of whatever it is you might be working on. 
Yeah. It's about realizing what's important, really, isn't it? As well. Yeah. As, as, yeah. So it's so you can get so kind of um, kind of focused on on your career and on making progress and that, which is definitely important. But mm-hmm. you can get so focused on it that you forget that there are other priorities as well, which is such as enjoying your life. <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't, you don't yeah. get that time back, as you said. Exactly. <laughs> so another thing to think about is as you're working hard and as you're trying to do certain things and, and you know, accomplish certain goals and, and finish certain projects, you're having emotions along the way. You're having feelings about that. Now, sometimes those feelings are very positive. You're feeling, you know, you feel a sense of accomplishment that makes you feel successful and it makes you, makes you feel worthy and it makes you feel, um, it, it, it ups your self-esteem. And then there are other times when you're just feeling bad about it. You feel stressed and you feel like a loser and you feel like, you know, I should be doing better and, and you, you, those emotions can start to just drive everything. And people, I mean, literally get sick over this. And I don't just mean they start having mental health problems. They start getting things like ulcers and headaches and migraines. And, you know, this, these emotional things that are going on are signals. They are, it's a feedback mechanism for you. It's telling you, hey, the environment is causing me stress or the environment is fulfilling and it's working and we're in the zone. So you need to, you need to harness that. And if you don't take a breath every once in a while, you won't have a chance to see your emotions. And how many times have we been in a situation where all of a sudden we're just, we got sick. And you're like, that's it. I'm done. I have to stop. And then you start looking back and go, well, yeah, I know why I got sick. I've been working myself to death, you know, or you're going along and, and then you just break something. And I mean, whether it's physically break something or, or, you know, whether it's an intellectual issue and you go, what was then, you know, when you're forced to stop, then all of a sudden you realize the recording of all these emotions that happened up until then. Well, you don't have to wait until something bad happens. If this is a, if you have it built into your, into your normal operation, to have a slowdown period periodically, then you know this is this is one of the ways that that you can get that done, and and you can recognize that emotions are not this childish thing. They are not um, they are not a thing, especially for the guys. It's like oh, that's real men don't feel emotions, which is total baloney. Um, you know, <laughs> emotions are a, an important part of the human experience, and we need you to bring your humanity to your work. Um, that's, that, that drives innovation. It drives um, ethics. It, it drives your ability to work well with other people. You know, it, really, it really becomes important that, that you be able to harness the power of your emotion. And being able to take some time to go slow occasionally will help you with that. So another thing that matters about going slow is it's going to help you make better decisions. We all have to make decisions all day long. You know, it, even if you're not in a, in, a, in a labeled managerial position, you are still managing your own work. 
And so there's a lot of decisions still to be made. And if you can't take a breath long enough to make a clear decision, you know, what, what kind of decisions are you going to make? You, Nick said he likes analogies, so here's one. Imagine your mind is like a car engine. You know, if you've got the pedal to the floor all the time, if you've got that engine redlined all the, t all the time, it's going to overheat, it's going to fail. At some point, you've got to slow down, you've got to rest. You've got you to gotta lower your baseline for mental stress for, for some amount of time, even if it's just a few minutes. And when your mind isn't racing, you'll find that doing things like absorbing information is easier. You're going to be able to see your circumstances more clearly, and you're going to be able to make better decisions. And so, Ken, what about the, you know, when you talk about the, um, the emotions, or what, the, what about the emotions who, uh, that drive people to try and, you know, you're, it's almost like you go fast because you're compensating for emotion or trying to overcome an emotion like fear. Mm -hmm. um, you're scared of, of a negative outcome, and so you push. And so you're, then you're base, basing your drive on fear or worry about right. what might happen or might not happen or what someone's going to say or what, rather than what you're passionate about. Sure. Is that, is that what underlies this whole thing? Yeah, there's, there's a couple, a couple of things to say about that. First off, in the moment, it, there's, there's a saying that I like to use. So, you know, when, you, when you're up to your neck in alligators, it's hard to remember that your objective was to drain the swamp. So if you're operating on fear all the time, yeah, fear will drive you, but it's not a terribly powerful driver. Um, and, and I know a lot of folks, you've, been, you've lived that for so long where fear has been your major motivator that you're afraid to let it go. You're afraid to give it up because you know what? If I don't have fear, I won't do anything. I will just sit here and be inert, <laughs> but that's not true. If you, if it gives you a, an opportunity to, to actually find your passion, to actually find things that positively motivate you, that, that when you're interested in success and accomplishment and experience, those things are far more compelling. They're far more powerful and you will find that if you will give yourself a chance to experience those things, you'll choose it over fear every time. Um, and, and every once in a while, if you find yourself slipping back into fear, you can realize, wait a minute, this isn't, this isn't good enough. And uh, I, you think back to the, the, the days of being in school, and especially when we were young, you know, really young, and, you know, say grade school, and you'd get an assignment and when did we do the assignment? Well, we do it at the last minute. You know, we do it the night before. Why? Because we felt like we needed last minute panic and we didn't want to be disconnected from what we wanted to do. We wanted to play, you know, we wanted to do whatever our selfish motivations were, you know, childish motivations. But when you're older, you start realizing, hey, my motivations are no longer childish. Well, hopefully they're not. <laughs> you know, I've got motivations that are really compelling, that are, that are really great, you know. <laughs> so I can replace it with that last-minute panic. I don't need that anymore. I've got, I've got this mission in front of me, this thing I want to accomplish, this, whether it's something to get on your resume or it's, or it's uh, you know, just a project that you, you're, you're proud to be associated with. These... This allows you to get away from those negative emotions and replace them with positive emotions. 
And not just because positive feels better than negative, but because these positive things are more powerful than those negative things. Running away from something all the time is a crummy life. And, and it will make for a crummy career. And you'll, it'll, you'll be stressed and you'll be wondering, why did I choose this? You know, what, why am I doing this uh, just for the paycheck? You know, it's, it's, it can't be worth it. And it's not. <laughs> but it doesn't have to be that way. It's interesting what you talk about there is that, you know, um, fear versus enjoyment as a driver or versus passion as a driver. Mm-hmm. And fear, I associate, and I'm pretty sure everyone else does, fear is, supposed, so, uh, uh, is associated with speeding up and trying to, you know, panicked, um, panicked movement, if you like. And, mm-hmm. and if you enjoy something, you tend to sit back and relax and enjoy and slow down. And so that there's the that there's the kind of right there of where are you on that? Um, where is your motivation? What are you allowing to motivate you? And um, you know, basically, what are you allowing to drive to um, to drive your life? And that's why slowing down is such a powerful lever. But it's because basically, to slow down, you have to relax, and so you have to move yourself back into that zone of okay. If I'm fearful, it's, it's really difficult to slow down. So you have to, you have to, slowing down is in one way stepping out of the fear. Right. Yes, yeah. And, you know, part of this has to do too with time of life perhaps for you. Um, when you're younger, you're often very motivated by, by a lot of energy, you know, a lot of adrenaline and a lot of testosterone in the case of guys, but yeah, estrogen too in the case of women. It's definitely motivating. But, uh, I'm thinking back to something that happened to me when I was in my early 20s. And I was one of those crazy people that was just going with his hair on fire all the time. That was my normal mode. I used to say I lived on, on adrenaline and caffeine. And, and I loved it that way. But a, f- a friend invited me to go camping in the woods. And, and I thought, I'm going to go sit up in the woods and do nothing. I don't know that I can do that. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. But it kind of intrigued me because I thought, you know, he's also a young guy. And, you know, he was, he was an energetic person too. And I thought, well, he wants to go. And I've never done this before. Ah, what the heck, I'll try it out. And I just couldn't believe how much better I felt. I, I mean, it didn't take, but I wasn't there for an hour or two. And I calmed down. Something I didn't think I could do. I, I thought it was physically impossible for me. And, you know, it was a, a week-long trip, and it was delightful. And it changed my outlook on the world forever. No one told me to go slow at that time. I kind of wish somebody had told me to. It was just accidental that this friend had invited me camping, and it, he'd never crossed his mind that I needed a break. In fact, it never crossed my mind that I needed a break. I didn't think I did need a break, <laughs> but I did. And it really made a difference. And so, you know, you might find yourself kind of backing into some of this stuff. You might say, well, I don't know if I need this, but my suggestion is try it. Try it anyway. Take, take a shot. Watch the sunset tonight. You know, do, find a moment to just say, you know what? I'm going to turn everything else off. And I'm just going to be still for a little bit. I'm going to sit in the backyard. I'm going to sit on the patio. I'm going to take a walk around the neighborhood. You know, whatever it is that you can do where 
you're no longer beholden to your phone or your computer or the television or the internet or, or, or people clamoring for your attention. <laughs> like what you're hearing? Ready to supercharge your scientific career? Discover practical advice on what it takes to be a successful scientist without sacrificing happiness. Learn the importance of meeting your human needs, identifying and unlocking your charisma factors, discovering your core mindsets, and much more. Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist reference pack and get started on your journey to becoming a happier scientist today. Subscribe now and check the show notes to download. Yeah, it's an interesting point that about, you know, it's often said, isn't it, that with the increase of technology, then then life speeds up in a way because the information that's firing at you, it's... it's um, is much faster or, or it can be and so mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing to step back and um and you know disconnect yourself from that and uh, and allow things to slow down as sure. I, I do that once a year at the moment as a kind of three four day walk with just me and a tent <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and it's really the, the change of pace really helps and kind of gives you a calibration of, okay, this is slow. <laughs> so, and then you know what fast feels like. So try and get somewhere in, in the middle. <laughs> Still like it. So, you know, I know we have an audience that's around the world here. And of course, you know, Nick is in Scotland and I'm in the United States. Um, and and there, there are some differences between the cultures of the U.S. and Europe. It's something that I found out the hard way. It's like I, I found out that Europe, Europeans actually take vacations. <laughs> you take time off of work. <laughs> that is a wonderful idea. <laughs> um, a, a lot of the folks who, who are listening to this who are Americans are going, yeah, I haven't taken a day off in forever. It's like, well, maybe we should be uh, following the lead of our European brethren and <laughs> do that. Take, take some time off sometime and really take it off. You know, this this notion sometimes of, yeah, I've taken it off, but I'm checking my email four times a day, and I've got my my phone at the ready at every moment for to take a call from anybody who wants to call me. And and no, actually, take some time off. Take a moment. I mean, this this is a really good a really good illustration, actually. Whether you are you know managing yourself, you know, like how you're looking at what is good for yourself as a as a scientist, and so how am I going to make the uh, allow myself to be the best scientist or enable myself to be the best scientist that I can be, or whether you're looking at your group and, and thinking how you, if you manage a group of people, how can I um, set up an environment that allows these people to be the best scientists they can be? And then, and then look at the, the thought exercise. Is it better for them to have the pedal to the metal all the time? Are they going to be able to bring the most creativity to their, to their work if, we, if I max out their hours? Or by coming back, then uh, from a, you know, and just allowing some light in there and allowing some space and allowing some downtime and encouraging that kind of genuine downtime, you know that that's where the creativity comes from and where the ideas come from. And so how do you want to set it up for yourself? And, and that idea that if you maximize the number of working days in the year, for example, then you're maximizing productivity is not true. Right. You know, Google famously allows each of their full-time employees to, to take eight hours a week to do anything they want. They can work on anything they choose. 
where no manager is assigning it. They get to decide what they what they're going to do, and it can be a pet project. It could you know they they can choose to work on something that's already going on. You know if it's a busy time, but but the point is give some of that power back to people and allow them to have their own time to breathe too. You know, so whether that's something that you're doing because you're a manager and you have authority over them, or whether it's something you're you're doing by um, you know, creating an environment of, of where you're pushing your peers all the time, like, like it's, like it's a contest, like it's a race with everybody all the time. That's not the most productive thing to do for anybody. And it's not productive for you. It's not productive for them. Yeah. I mean, I I used to, um, I had a couple of years, uh, working in Denmark in Europe and, uh, it's not very far geographically, but culturally, it's it's quite different from from the UK, uh, and and it's a further step back down in being in a much more at least where I was, it's a further um, step back in, in an even more relaxed environment that prizes um, you know downtime just as much as as work time, and that was really educational for me going there, and I got a big shock when I came back to the UK and started working again in the UK of, of just how, um, how much, how pressurizing that was actually the, the change in environment, the change in the, the, the deprioritization of, of rela- relaxation time. Um, I'm just glad I didn't move from Denmark to the USA. That might have killed me. <laughs> no kidding. Cause I, I was thinking as you're saying this, you know, I, I lived and worked in London for a while. And I just couldn't believe how easy going everybody was compared to the Californians I was used to working with. You go to Denmark for a while, it's great. <laughs> and, got, and yet their GDP grows the same rate or whatever metrics you want to use. They're still productive. The small countries still have great companies. Um, but the people are there are, I, I don't know whether they're happier or not. It's just a different kind of, it's a different kind of environment. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, I, I think there have been studies done on, and Denmark is a happy country, so <laughs> so there's that. So it is it is interesting to sometimes look outside of our own bubble and say, hey, you know, we're seeing, hey, this is the, the way we've always done it, and we're thinking this is how everybody always does it at every company in every country. And when you start to to look more broadly, you realize that is not true. Your the whole world doesn't look like your little world. And there's some things out there you might learn, <laughs> some things that might benefit you. And I think this is really important specifically for scientists because when you step into the arena of, of, of science, there's a, kind of uns- there's kind of a culture. Again, we keep talking about this. And again, this is my experience and it might not be yours. But my experience was there was a culture where this is important work, which it is. It's um, specialized work. You know, there's a, there's a professional pride. And then that we have to work our asses off. Mm-hmm. It's the most important thing, or one of the most important things, is how hard we actually work in terms of how many hours we put in and how panicked we seem while we're doing it. And um, uh, you know that that was a really um, you know that that's one of the that's what it feels like. Everyone around you is supporting. That's what it felt like for me when I moved into to working in the lab. And I, and I kind of was taken aback by that and tried to rebel against it and it caused me a lot of problems. Um, but yeah, that, if you're experiencing that, then it might be worth having to, a look though at 
how you can, you know, is that the way that you want to work and can you step back just a little bit to give yourself some more space to be creative and to be relaxed and to be enjoying things? Um, you don't need to go as far as I did <laughs> into the <laughs> side of it, but, um, but you can do just little bits to take a step back. But I just, that just sprung to mind, you know, talking about Denmark. There was a guy, actually, um, we were recruiting, uh, the company that I worked for was just a small company, and we were looking for a new lab head. And everyone in the, who was working in the lab got to be involved in the interviewing process. And <laughs> there was a guy who was technically amazing, um, and he was, but he came in talking about how, how um, you know, basically what we're talking about here is basically that he works himself to the bone and that's what he prides himself upon. And they didn't give him the job because of that, because they didn't want to wreck, they didn't want to bring that culture into the company. And I thought that, mm. was, a, that was a great thing, actually. Right. Yeah, there are people that are quite proud of their, their um, self-destructive behavior. <laughs> the guy was literally saying in the interview that, you know, I, I work so hard that sometimes I don't have time to eat. <laughs> oh, boy. You could see his name being crossed off the list. <laughs> yep. Boy, again, you're describing me like my my twenties, man. I, I, I at the time I was computer programmer, and I would, I I really loved what I was doing, and every once in a while I would look up and go, "When's the last time I ate?" I think it was Tuesday. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like. And, you know, that's just not healthy. It's not the way to go. <laughs> so Yeah, and, and it's so difficult, though, because I used to think that when I was kind of like, what, what's all this about, you know? Why do I have to work 12 hours a day and work on Saturdays, you know, which was the mm -hmm. culture I was in? Why, why, why do I have to do that? I don't want to do that. I, I like my job, but I don't want to do that. And I thought that was because I was lazy. And other people thought it was because I was lazy, but it's not that. It's just... It's just a different way of looking at things. Yeah. And, and for me, that's a more healthy way of looking at things and a more sustainable way. You will get, yeah. and you will get, more, you will get more out of it in the end. You'll get, you will get more, um, more productivity by allowing that kind of more, you know, by staying in that more relaxed zone. Right. So hopefully we've, we've, Put this idea in front of you that going slow could be beneficial for you. And hopefully you're going, you know what? Okay. All right. You got me. I, I, I'm willing to try. But how am I supposed to do this? Now, we, we've mentioned a few things along the way, but I want to call out a couple things specifically that, that can really help you. And, and it's going to start with before you even show up at work. I want you to wake up slowly. So instead of bolting out of bed in the morning and just leaping into life, set your alarm clock for 10 minutes earlier than you typically would get up any day. So you're going to have 10 minutes of just, you know, do a little stretching. You don't even have to get out of bed to do that. Then you can get up and you can make your bed. And you can, you can go drink a glass of water. And, 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 you, can, and you can just cut out all this rush and noise and panic to start your day because when you start your day that way you set the tone for your day and that's how your day will be but if you start your day at a at a at a pace that's where you can breathe where you can think where you can actually see everything around you you have a moment to observe your environment then 
you're going to have a different experience. And I want you to think about giving up some of the things you typically do in the morning. Like, do you really need coffee? Is this an addiction? Is it something you've always told yourself? Is there a way you could perhaps get free of something like that? Do you really need to watch the morning news and get agitated about what the politicians said today <laughs> and, and where, where the latest catastrophe is happening? Is that really critically important that you know up to the second everything that's going on there? Or could you let that go for now? Or do you have to just dive into that abyss of email before you can even get your breakfast cereal down? You know, or can you can you take a moment just to get awake, to just get into your body and into your mind again so that that you can be fully prepared for when you're going to attack the day. Um, so what I'm going to ask you to do is to make that change in your morning routine for seven days. That is, get up 10 minutes earlier, get rid of all of the agitating things you do in the morning, the, you know, like like checking the news and, and jamming into your email. If you're using something like coffee to, to you know, to, to, to just, you know, shoot juice into the system, why don't you give yourself a chance to come up at your natural pace? Why don't you allow yourself to wake up instead of force yourself to wake up um, and see how that might not change how you experience things. And you will see a change throughout your day as, as you go at it this way. I think we're going a bit too far here. No coffee. I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, uh, it's just a suggestion. <laughs> it's something to try. For some of you, you're going to hear this and go, oh, no coffee. Forget that. I'm not doing that. And others, you're going to go, yeah, I know. I should have quit that a long time ago. If that's you, you know. It is yeah. interesting to challenge yourself to see if you can do stuff like that, though. Yeah, and again, we're, I'm not, not saying anything is bad or good here. There's no moral judgment going on here. I'm not saying you're a bad person because you check your email before you, you, know, you even make it into the bathroom in the morning. It's fine. <laughs> but you know there are things you're doing in, in your morning routine that are stressful. So I want you to remove those things. And I don't care what it is. You know, and there may be things that I haven't mentioned here. But make your wake-up process easier on you instead of this wrenching you from the, the warmth of your bed and, and the comfort of sleep into the, you know, the rat race. <laughs> That's a shock, isn't it? And, and you, yeah. don't need that. you don't need to do that to yourself. And all for the sake of an extra, well, for me, <laughs> it's all for the sake of an extra 15 minutes in bed, suddenly everything becomes chaos. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know... Something I used to do, I would set my alarm for the last possible second because my thinking was, I want to stay asleep as long as I possibly can. I need that sleep. But I actually found out that I was better off to get up a little earlier, or actually to wake up a little earlier, but not necessarily get up. Um, if, I could, if I could have five or ten minutes just laying in bed, you know, getting ready to, to get up, was so much better than this alarm launch out of bed, you know, find myself standing in a cold, in a cold bedroom, uh, you know, staring at the dark walls, wondering what just happened to me. You know, <laughs> that is a hard way to start your day <laughs> and you don't have to. You know, that's the, that's the thing about it. So many of us, we did that because we thought it was what you're supposed to do. 
That's what adults do. That's what mom and dad did. You know, that's, that's what everybody I know does. No, it's not. That you, you think they're all doing that, but they're not. Not all of them. <laughs> yeah. still, I, I mean, I, I still do a lot of these things and just have to keep reminding myself not to. You know, that. Yeah. Well, check the email in the morning things an absolute killer. Um, you know, you've got to, if you're going to look at your email, you've got to be constant. You should only check your email if you're prepared to accept the consequences of a really, you know, something bad being dropped in your email. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're not ready for that, don't look. I heard some comedian that this is, it's great that it was a comedian because this guy could have been a management consultant. He said, so I want you to answer this question honestly. Do you check your email before you pee or while you pee? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh man, that's brutal. You know, but it's it's, you know, it's what people do. We're just in such a such a rush to get started, and and you don't have to be in such a rush. Yeah. So you've started your day now. It's happened. You've got everything you're gonna do for your morning routine done, and you're off, and you're you're at the office, you're in the lab, you're, you're at work, you're ready to go. So I want to recommend an interesting book called The Power of Less by Leo Babauta. And in it, he recommends choosing the three most important tasks for the day. That's step one. And step two is do them first. So this, you know, I'm, we all have our to-do lists and often there's 93 things on them. But what, what he is saying is, look, you're not going to get to 93 things. You know that. Everybody else knows that. Stop kidding yourself. But what you really, really, really need to do is what are the three most important things that have to happen today? And do them. And don't wait. Don't like, well, I got these other, these half a dozen other things that are easier. Or I can just, I can just bang them out, you know, and then I'll feel like I accomplished something. Said, yeah. Were they among the most important things to do for the day? No. Well, then you didn't accomplish much. Do the three most important things you need to do and, and get it done. And, and, and I realize there are some things like, well, one of the most important things I can do is to go to that meeting at 1 p.m. Well, obviously, you can't do that till 1 p.m. But, <laughs> but you can be prepared for that meeting at 1 p.m. You, you can take steps to what can I do in support of this thing that is the most important thing for me to do today. And when you start realizing that I'm only going to do this many things, because if you, if you have a list and there's 12 things on it and it's causing you stress and pain and you know there's no way I'm finishing those 12 things that have to get done today, well, guess what? I, they must not have to get done because you're not getting them done. And and when that's happening every single day, you know, well, what is the standard I've been applying to saying it has to be done today? Stop kidding yourself. Start seeing things as they actually are and recognize this is something that has to be done today. And this other thing, even though it's important, I'm not calling it unimportant, doesn't have to be done today. Well, I'm not going to put my thought into that. I'm going to put my full thought into the stuff that has to be done today. Now, if you get done with your three things that have to be done today by three o'clock and you're still going to be there till five or six, cool. Do something else. <laughs> you know, Find the next most important thing, the thing that would have been the most important thing to finish tomorrow. Um, but really dial yourself in and give yourself a checklist 
a to-do list that you can actually complete each day. When you have a to-do list that's just a running list of tasks, you've never actually gotten clear on what has to happen today. And sometimes it's critical for you to know. You, you need to know what has to happen today. And you gotta stop distracting yourself with stuff that isn't important today. Not that it isn't important ever, but if it's not important today, it shouldn't be getting any of your brain cycles. It's wasting time, it's wasting effort, and it's part of the reason why you're going so fast all the time because you've got this extra consideration of something that doesn't matter happening on a regular, a regular schedule here and, and probably multiple things like that. So instead of the three things you should be focused on today, there are the 12 things you're focusing on today. And so you're cycling through all 12 of those over and over again. And that means that nine times out of those 12, you are wasting time. It's not helpful. So dial it in. You know, really, really get simpler about it. Now, one of the things you can do then is you can reward yourself for that focus. Then you may find yourself, hey, you know what? I can take a walk at lunch. You know, I can, I can take a break and read something edifying, something useful, or something entertaining and, and, and something that'll take me away for a minute. If you have an environment you can do so, I'm a big fan of taking naps. Naps are beautiful things. <laughs> a 20-minute nap can totally change your day. And, and you might think, oh, that's 20 minutes of wasted time. No, it's stopping you from wasting time. It, it, it'll, if it can clear the brain fog, all of a sudden, the next 10 minutes will get more done than you would have got done in an hour when you just weren't clear. So, you know, this is... This is a great method and, and recognizing I can cut down this list because it's reality. And I don't care what your number is. It, there is a point when you just can't an add another task to the list for the day. Everybody knows this is a finite list. Well, stop telling yourself that that finite number is this big number because it isn't. It isn't. And if you look at re in truthful, honest assessment of what your typical day is like and look at what do I actually accomplish, you're gonna find it's a lot less than your to-do list. Well then stop calling that your to-do list for the day because it's just not. Then I wanna give you one more thing and this, is, this kind of feeds off of that. You gotta dump your fear of missing out. Here you are, you're thinking, oh man, if I, if I don't have tasks four through 12 on my to-do list, you know, there might be something that I won't get done and some benefit I won't receive. Well, you got to stop worrying about that. We all are missing opportunities all the time. It's fine. <laughs> There's only so much we can do. You can, you have to pick. I, I like something that, that Ray Dalio says. He says that you can have every, you can have anything you want in your life. You just can't have everything. You're going to have to pick what's important what's valuable, what's worthwhile, what am I willing to commit my time and resources to, what am I willing to hang my hat on? And just pick those things and don't worry about all the other stuff that you're not doing. And we've all seen people like this. They go to a restaurant and they order something and you order something and they go, oh man, I should have ordered what you ordered. It's like, well, you still can. <laughs> Or worse yet, you're eating yours and like, oh, yours looks so much better than mine. It's like, why don't you enjoy what's on your own plate? You know, why not? 
Why not see that and and be present to that? So what do you think about that, Nick? Well, it's just, uh, it's just a matter of focus, really, isn't it? It's, it's back to that thing about realizing that time is probably the most precious resource that you have because you can't get more of it. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, so what are you, beware of wasting it, really, um, and choose what you want to focus your time and energy on and, uh, and not taking that uh, cue on what you should focus it on um, from other people, choosing it for yourself. Right. And don't be deluded about how much you can focus on. You can't, focus is, by definition, taking you down to one thing. <laughs> you, know, you can't focus on multiple things. That's that's anti-focus. Oh, yeah. I, I'm not even going to mention multitasking, Ken, because I know what you think about that. <laughs> <laughs> we will have a whole episode on that one, I promise you. <laughs> and and folks, you if you haven't figured it out, I'm not a fan. <laughs> well, so this was all about the art of going slow. I hope we have convinced you that it's worth it's worth taking a shot at and giving you some ideas. So start your day slow, get your to-do list down to a very small number. Three would be great for the day and stop worrying about missing out. And if you do those things, you're going to find you're going to have a less stressful day. You're going to have a more successful career and you're going to feel more accomplishment in the work that you're doing. I think that, uh, I think at some point we will have, uh, an episode about managing a healthy to-do list management, which um, I think is a big thing, especially for any professional, actually, especially nowadays with all these inputs that we have. Absolutely. Um, I just wanted to um, also, you mentioned uh, The Power of Less, which is a great book about, about slowing down. Mm -hmm. um, one book that I love uh, in, that, in this area is called Let's see what it's called. It's called the practicing, the practicing mind, uh, and it's by a guy called Thomas M. Sterner, and it's very interesting. This guy is um, a professional piano tuner of all things, and he talks about in the book how he, um, how he is in how he has over in his career he's, he's been in pressure situations where he's you know you have a, he. Um, tunes pianos in, uh, you know, for orchestras and things. So the piano's delivered, the, the, um, the performance is tonight, and he has to tune this grand piano to perfection for the performance, and it's time pressured. And he talks about all, all around how the only way he can cope with that, that he's developed to be able to cope with that pressure and to be able to work with such precision is to slow down regardless of how little time he feels like he has or how pressured he feels, and it's a really great read. So The Practicing Mind by Thomas Sterner. That's my recommendation for today. Well, there we go. All right. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. And Nick has a bunch of things to tell you about besides that. <laughs> okay. The only things that I have to um, tell you about are the normal housekeeping things. If you've been listening to this podcast, um, if this is your first episode, then this is the first thing you've heard of. But um, regardless, uh, the housekeeping is please join us at the Happy Scientist Club Facebook page if you want to hear more things like this. It's facebook.com forward slash the Happy Scientist Club. 
if you want to see the show notes for uh, today's show, then you can get them at bitesizebio.com, The Happy Scientist. And uh, this is episode 11. So if you go to episode 11, you will find the show notes where we will provide links to the books and some other stuff that we talked about today. And there was one other thing, and that is to, if you, if you haven't done so already, and you think that uh, this, you can, you could benefit from the, the, you know, the sort of content that is in this, uh, in this podcast, please go back to episodes, episode one and listen to one through nine. It's quite a lot of content. So just, you know, just give yourself, go approach it slowly and just take the, you take your time and, uh, and go through it. But that contains, uh, a lot of all of the, um, the the foundational principles that we'll, we will be addressing um, throughout this podcast and however long it goes on for those foundational principles of human needs, core mindsets and charisma factors, which are just different ways of looking at yourself and the world, different frameworks that you can use to, to, um, to improve things for yourself. Uh, it's thing that these are frameworks that Ken has created and I have personally found them very useful. So I think that wraps up for today. And again, thanks again for another great insight, Ken. Thank you, Nick. And we'll see you all next time. All right, bye now. The Happy Scientist is brought to you by Bite Size Bio, your mentor in the lab. Bite Size Bio features thousands of articles and webinars contributed by hundreds of PhD scientists and scientific companies who freely offer their hard-won wisdom and solutions to the Bite Size Bio community. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and want to keep learning practical tips on being a happy and successful scientist, don't wait any longer. Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist reference pack today. And together, let's reignite that passion for science that first got you into the lab. Remember, you can find us on all major podcast platforms. So hit that subscribe button now and check the show notes to download.